Setting goals, whether personal or professional, is something that many people struggle with. We are told that goals need to be smart, specific, measurable or meaningful, attainable, relevant or rewarding, time-bound or trackable. How do your strengths impact your goals? And why are goals important for a security leader? Stay tuned. Welcome to the Security Leadership Podcast. My name is Jerome Levy. My day job is a CISO. And I'm a member of the security community for more than 10 years. With me here is my co-host Jeff Snyder, who is an executive coach and a security recruiter since 1997. Welcome, Jeff. Good morning. Jeff, in our last episode, you shared your story about your health situation. You mentioned how you were setting personal goals uh, for yourself and crashing them throughout your career. And even now, despite your condition, you continue to set goals. So, so why, why setting goals is so important to you? My top strength is called futuristic. It means visionary. And I started learning about my strengths about the time that I started having these um, these medical issues that none of them were my fault. They all come from genetics. So when situations came to me, uh, there's two choices when, when life changes and a situation is standing in front of you. You can either sit down or you can stand up. Well, I've had a really odd scenario because I've had to make that decision multiple times. Most people, if they're lucky, don't have to make it at all. And they're still lucky if they only have to make it once. Maybe they run into one setback and they have to figure out, do I, do I just give up or do I stand up? And it's, it's just not in my nature to sit down. Um, I'm sitting now because I've been relegated to a wheelchair, <laughs> but it has power and it goes four miles an hour. So I can at least move. But setting goals is the only way I got back on my feet every time I was knocked down. Can you tell me more how your specific lift on strength have an impact on the way that you set your goals? Yes. So up until my current situation, which is Lou Gehrig's disease, ALS, um, I, I was in situations where I always had an option to recover. You don't recover from ALS. It has no cure. So what I did in those situations is, and I'll I'll be as specific as I can. Uh, When I had open heart surgery, I'll even give the analytical people dates and times and everything they need to to hang with us here. Um, I had the surgery on April 24th. The week before I had surgery, I skied three days and I skated two hockey games. My goal set three and a half years before that was to show up for my open heart surgery someday 
in the best possible shape that I could, and I did. After that surgery, I immediately sat down with medical professionals and I said, when can I play hockey? Well, Jeff, you just had your chest cut open. Yeah, I know, but once it's not cut open anymore, when can I play hockey? And I sat down with the heart surgeon and I set those goals. To be very exact, I played hockey on July 16 after having open heart surgery on April 24. And when people are told that for the first time, they, they kind of stop like a deer in headlights. Well, I didn't stop there. Uh, a few weeks later, we went to Park City, Utah, spent a week at Park City. Um, I decided I was going to ride my mountain bike down the mountain. That was August the 10th. Before I did these things, I, I worked with the, the woman who ran my heart surgeon's office. And we agreed that, yes, your bone is healed. It's going to hurt. Okay, well, it hurts whether I sit on a couch or whether I get on my bike. What's the difference? Well, if you can handle the pain, you can do it. So there's two examples of two goals that I set. One goal was to get back on the ice. One goal was to, to get back on the ice and, and play hockey. One goal was to get back on my mountain bike. And if I did not set those future goals, I, I may have recovered, I may have worked out, I may have walked, but I wouldn't necessarily have had a driving force to say, I'm walking, I'm lifting these weights, I'm eating the way I'm eating, because I'm going to get back to an activity on a certain date. Futuristic is one trait, and you know not everybody have that. That's right. So are there any other traits, any other strengths that can help us or impact the way you set goals? Yes. No doubt whatsoever. So my number two strength is called strategic. Strategic helped me to uh, be able to see from where I was at the moment. So I was, I was in a hospital bed before my open heart surgery. I was already planning out the course of how I was going to move from the hospital bed to getting back on the ice two and a half months later. That was strategic. Strategic helps you to, we'll, we'll use the alphabet, to move from A to Z. People who are less strategic need to move more slowly, A, B, C, D, etc. People who are highly strategic, in one blink, they jump from A to Z. And it's after strategic that futuristic or visionary kicks in. It's not just futuristic and strategic. My third strength is called activator. It's a built-in go button. So I don't need someone to wind me up in order to do something. I just get it in my mind, I set the goal and I do it. Most people don't have activator. Most people don't have futuristic. My number four strength is called maximizer. Maximizer 
it's it's built into my DNA to take at least take good to great. And quite frankly, most days and with most situations, I prefer to go past great and go all the way to excellent. Well, if you want to get back on the ice after open heart surgery and play hockey with other people who want to take your puck and they don't mind hitting you to do so, uh, you better have done some excellent recovery. I'll jump down just a little bit further. At number seven, I have a strength called Achiever. Achiever is what gets you over the finish line. Activator gets you started. Achiever helps you get done. So I used all of those strengths to the nth degree to get myself through all of those physical setbacks. We talked about the fact that, you know, no two people are alike. What is your advice to someone that may listen to us and say, look, but I don't have futuristic at number one. I don't have strategic at number two. I don't have activator at number three. What, what is your advice to them about setting their goals? My advice is clear as day. You partner with somebody that has strengths that you don't have. You have an accountability partner. So for all the, all the walking around the block, and around my subdivision is seven-tenths of a mile. Uh, I have walked that same path 1,500 times. Sometimes I did it by myself, and frequently I did it with somebody else. Uh, I can't tell you that I wanted to get up off my rear end and put on shoes and go walking, especially when it was raining or snowing. But I have pictures of when I did. And I always had someone with me. So there's absolutely, positively nothing wrong with needing to lean on somebody else. You just need to make sure you're leaning on the right person who's going to share your value and your value in this case, in my case, was I want to get back on the ice. So when I was able to put on ice skates, I went to something called sticks and pucks. It, it's not full-blown hockey. It's, it's skating with a little bit of equipment and passing pucks and so on. Uh, I have a specific friend, uh, my best friend, his name is Gary who skated with me 700 times over nine and a half years. He was my, my defensive partner. Uh, Gary is the, is the other person that I relied on when I didn't feel like driving down to Colorado Springs to, to have that workout. All I had to think about was I've already made a commitment to Gary. Gary's going to be there. I can't back out on this. I have to show up. That brings me to my next question is like, why so many people struggle to set goals for themselves? Okay, this is, this is going to stretch you quite a bit. But I firmly believe that most people are not crystal clear on their own values. And what I mean by values is um, most people are not absolutely certain about what is most important to them. So in, in terms of my values, uh, I value my family highly. 
If I didn't get back on my feet, I couldn't be of any value to my family. Uh, I value my fitness. Because I've had all these, these heart issues, I, I have been challenged by heart surgeons to stay in great shape. Well, if, if, if I didn't have a value to stay in shape, I wouldn't have done it. So it goes much deeper than just putting a bunch of words on a piece of paper and saying, okay, I'm going to do that. You better anchor it to something deeper than just your surface thinking. So one thing is understanding your values, understanding what's important to you. Yes. But then the second thing after that is reaching inside and, and looking at your strengths and from there, understanding which one you can leverage to help you set those goals that are tied back to your values. 100%. And, and, and if, you, if you don't know what your unique giftedness is, and if you have not invested time and energy to develop that unique giftedness, you're going to have a hard time reaching inside and knowing what exactly to grab because it's not it's not available to you yet. And, and you know, one of the things that you and I have talked about um, several times in the past, and in particular, the dead last strength on, on the Clifton um, strength list is self-assurance. And because it's the dead last, it's the most rare one in terms of dominance, right? In, in people's uh, uh, wiring. Yeah, let, let's say that another way because that gets confusing to people. So out of 34 traits and over 23 million people who have taken the assessment, there are traits that show up near the top all the time. There are traits that show up near the bottom most of the time. And that's what you just said. So self-assurance shows up at at the bottom, it's less than 5% of people who have self-assurance in their top five traits. So in other words, that means that 95% don't have it. And if it's not a dominant strength that people usually have, does that mean that they are more prone to fear or fear of failure? 100%. So self-assurance is courage and it's self-confidence. It's an inner compass. It's, a, it's an inner sense of, I know. I have the answer. I can be decisive. And what I'm telling you is statistically, most people don't possess that trait high enough that they can reach down and grab it and leverage it. It doesn't necessarily have to be in your top five, but it needs to be high enough that it, it still is a, a powerful force in your DNA. So we spend an awful lot of time asking me questions on this podcast. I think it's fair game that you should be answering a question. What do you say to that? Absolutely. Bring it. All right. So I want you to tell 
this audience why it's so difficult for uh, security leaders to set and achieve goals within the corporate environment. I love your question. And, and I think it goes back to a lot of the things that you, you and I discussed before and the things that you mentioned, which in a way tie back to the strengths. Lack of self-awareness is probably the most dominant factor there. And by the lack of self-awareness, not just from the security leader or from the security team, but first and foremost from the organization. We talked about the fact that security is relatively younger profession. Security was really accelerated, or what we call cybersecurity as, as, as a practice, was really accelerated, you know, with, with the... Uh, digital age or, or, you know, the internet or, you know, whatever we want to call this. And that did not really start in, in, in a massive way um, maybe 20 years ago, not more than 20 years ago, 20, 20, maybe five, maybe. Sure. Not having that understanding, experience, awareness, many organizations still struggle to even define what they want or what they expect from their security leaders. And it's really interesting to see that. I'm sure you've seen it as well when and when you're recruiting for, for CISO roles or, or leadership roles. When you talk to the companies and, and you know, when I see um, job descriptions that are coming, you know, from companies uh, who reach out, almost always a very, very long list of things. I mean, it's not uncommon to, to have a job description that is eight and 10 pages long that has everything and the kitchen sink in it. Uh, that's right. So when you when it's so broad, the companies don't really know exactly what they're looking for. They are trying to cover everything. Which probably go back to what you said before about the people. What are their values? What are the things that they value the most? Whether it's you know the data that they have, the employees they have, the customers they have, Whatever the case may be, that's not always very well articulated, you know, in those descriptions. Oftentimes, let's say if you're a first-time CISO coming to an organization, you are pretty much overwhelmed. What you will see, you will see that, okay, the company finally made the decision to uh, bring a security leader in. And now that they made that decision, they want to see results and they want to see results very, very fast. It is not uncommon to hear the question, okay, what are you going to accomplish in your first 90 days? And, and if you think about it, there isn't really much that you can accomplish with just 90 days. Not to say you cannot accomplish anything, but mostly what you can accomplish with the first 90 days, especially in an organization that never had the security practice or security leadership before is, is mostly to orient yourself to the situation and start building some relationships. So you mostly have to listen to everybody around you to start formulate some thoughts and, and, and ideas around the goals that you want to accomplish. And lastly, because there's so much that CISOs needs to deal with or, or security practices need to deal with, and all the pressure around it, 
they oftentimes feel very, very overwhelmed. And what you will see is that that's when they usually go back and fall back into what we call quote-unquote best practices or checkboxes, right? Because, yeah, I have to show something fast. I have to show something that is very, very tangible. So bring me a, a best practice or a compliance framework, and then I can start showing that, okay, we are checking those boxes. You really need to understand the forces on your environment, external and internal, and from there, formulate your vision and your ideas that will lead you to achieve the goals that you need to set for, for your organization. Not an easy task, and it can be very complex and very overwhelming. But as, as you always said before, it's kind of going back to that self-awareness of yourself and also the organization. So one of the things that you just mentioned, whether you even know it or not, is you talked about in those first 90 days, one of the things that you can do is you can begin building relationships. Well, that's that's good for you because you're a relationship building person. I, I, I happen to know your DNA. What I can tell you from um, almost a decade of seeing Clifton Strength results from people who either were or are or want to be security leaders is that the vast majority of those people are not heavily gifted with relationship building potential strengths. So in a case like that, it takes a tremendous amount of intention and action and follow through for somebody who who is brilliantly high IQ smart to get past their their internal thinking, which is predominantly strategic thinking giftedness, to somehow turn around and want to go out and build relationships with the right people. A lot of times they just don't have that wiring inside them. And most of the time they don't even know it. We talked about the fact that you know people are struggling, right? Uh, whether it's a security leader or just people uh, or the organizations or uh, people in general struggle to, to set their goals. What can we do to make it better? You talked about the, the alignment you know, to values, for example, but can you elaborate more about that? Sure. I've sensed that a lot of security leaders walk into companies with a picture in their mind of this is how I build a security program. Let me explain it to you. Well, let me say it a different way. I more than sense. I've sent people to interviews and they've done that. And my client got back to me and said, this guy came in and told us how he's going to build the program. That's not what we want. Second person goes in, does the same thing. This is how I build security programs. Really? Well, that's not what we want. That doesn't fit what we value. Third person went into that same interview situation, and he started with curiosity. He started asking people questions. He started asking people who were interviewing him what they put value on. Then he was able to explain, well, this is how in the past I have secured 
a situation like that where my previous employer put value on the same thing. He's not talking about the program. He's He was talking about, and by the way, there was a panel of eight people interviewing him in the same room at the same time. A little intimidating, I suspect. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But even so, he took the time to probe a little bit before he told people how he would solve their problem or create their opportunity even even better. Well, let me give you an ending to that story because I, I just told it really, really fast and it's as it's real. It's exactly the outcome for three different people. First guy out, second guy out, third guy, before the elevator got to the bottom of a tall Chicago skyscraper, the chief compliance officer called and said, where did you find this guy? Well, does it matter? Do you want him or not? Oh, my gosh, we want to make him an offer. Does he want the job? I said, I don't know. When did he leave your office? Uh, five minutes ago. Well, isn't he probably in the elevator? Yeah, he's probably waiting for the elevator. Okay, I don't know if he wants the job or not. But by the time he got to the taxi cab, I got I got a chance to talk to him about whether he, you know, whether he had a great interview, and he did. He engaged with everybody. Everybody reciprocated. They loved him because he asked questions. He asked more than he told. And he learned about what their values were, and he addressed their values, not necessarily his values. So for a lot of people out there uh, in our profession, and by our I mean security leadership, who, like you said, are usually more gifted as strategic thinkers, I guess there's a good advice there to start with the end in mind, and instead of coming in, throwing out there, how are you going to do it or what is your plan? First and foremost, understand what's important to them. That's exactly right. And back in from there. I, I know a couple of the most talented CISOs in the world. I've also had a privilege to, to work with those people. That is exactly what they do. They spend more time learning about what the business values, what individuals that they interact with care about, and they, they go after addressing those issues. They suppress their own agenda, and they figure out what the agenda is of the person who actually owns the risk. And then they advise. So whether it's, we call it business risk or compliance or reputation or whatever the case may be, it's always good to go and ask the business the question, what's important to you? That's right. And once we understand what's important to them, then we can back and we can start formulating our plan and strategy and address the specific or set up specific goals to address what's important to them. Now, there may be cases that they may not exactly know. 
you may need to uh, uh, educate them and then help them get there. Would I be fair to say that in those cases, if they don't know, and you've invested the right amount of time and energy to build relationship and trust, they'll ask you to talk. You don't have to. You don't have to just start talking. They will ask you. You're the expert on this. What should we do? What What's your input? I think this is also where it's very important for candidates during the interview process, because it's not just about you are pitching to them about who you are and your strengths and, and your skills and so on, but also for them to pitch to you and then really understand as a candidate what's their values and what your values are and check whether they're on the line. Because if they're not, you're heading into a lot of trouble. That's right. This is where you know frustration settles in, stress settles in, and as we hear many security leaders, um, you know, they're getting burned out. Jeff, like most everything else, um, it starts with self-awareness and alignment with your values. And this is something that um, I can't thank you enough for helping me figure out over the last few months of uh, have a better understanding of, you know, who I am, what I value, and how does that align uh, with what I do and what I want to do. So I want to thank our audience and everyone who was uh, sharing their feedback and thoughts with us. Please continue to do so. Uh, you can contact us via LinkedIn through our profile pages or uh, through our cybersecurity leadership page. Also, uh, we'll greatly appreciate if you can uh, post feedback and rate our podcast on Apple's podcast, Google or Spotify. And uh, as of last week, uh, we have passed the 1400 plays mark. So uh, we want to thank you for that. Keep sharing your feedback with us. And uh, we'll see you next time.